0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Thursday edition, the Biden administration has announced they have pushed pause on the OSHA shot mandate for private employers. The administration took the action in response to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals placing a stay on the OSHA policy last Friday. However, the administration does not appear to be backing off of their quest for more power. We want control. And I think the confusion is at what level of control are you going to accept it in its endemicity? And as far as we're concerned, we don't know really what that number is, but we will know it when we get there. That was uh, Anthony Fauci at a press briefing yesterday at the White House responding to a question about what the federal government's goal is in terms of the pandemic. You know, if you can't define what success looks like, how do you plan on achieving it? We'll talk with Kansas Senator Dr. Roger Marshall in just a moment. To go along with their shots for tots, the Biden administration is pushing a toddler tax. How much? Who's going to pay it? Texas Congressman Kevin Brady, ranking member on the House Ways and Means Committee, is here with answers. And the U.S.-China Economic and Security Review Commission released its 2021 annual report to Congress yesterday what we found was that the Chinese are at are at or near an initial invasion capability which means the ability to conduct the land invasion of Taiwan even assuming American intervention albeit at very high risk former Senator Jim Talent of Missouri a member of the Commission will talk with Asian expert Gordon Chang about Both China's threat to Taiwan, and we'll also get his readout on Monday's virtual meeting between President Biden and communist dictator Xi Jinping. We seem to have crisis du jour, but many of the crises we face are transitory. But there is another crisis in the making that will have long-term effects upon the country. George Barna is here to discuss millennials in America, new insight into the generation of growing influence. That's coming up later Here on Washington Watch. The website, tonyperkins.com, lots of resources there for you on the website. And from coast to coast, border to border, pray together for life. Sunday, November the 28th, we'll be gathering for a national prayer event in Jackson, Mississippi, in advance of the U.S. Supreme Court hearing on uh, the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization case. This is the case that could overturn Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court decision that made abortion legal in all 50 states. To find out how you can be a part of this historic prayer gathering on Sunday night, November the 28th, text the word TOGETHER to 67742. That's the word TOGETHER to 67742. As I mentioned, the Occupational Safe and Health Administration, OSHA, has suspended activities related to the implementation and enforcement of its COVID shot or test requirement for private businesses in response to the order by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. But it also added that, quote, OSHA remains confident in its authority to protect workers in emergencies, end quote. does the Biden administration really think it has a case in court, or is it simply trying to keep up the pressure on businesses to carry out their dirty work? Here to talk more about this is Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas, who is a member of the Committee on Small Business and Entrepreneurship, a member of the Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pension, and is also a former business owner and physician. Dr. Marshall, welcome back to the program.
1: Tony, it's always great to be on with you. Good evening.
0: Well, Senator, you've been leading the effort there on the mandate in the Senate. Yesterday, all 50 senators signing uh, a measure on the uh, kind of uh, putting in process the Congressional Review Act on the mandate But, of course, now with this court decision, uh, the Biden administration pushing pause. Is this the end of it, or are we going to see more of it?
1: Oh, no, Tony. Your listeners need to double down with action now. All your listeners need to be reaching out to their senators, their Congress members, and saying we do not support this unconstitutional vaccine mandate. We're going to have to fight it on the land, on the air, in the sea, wherever we can. The Congressional Review Act is one such way. Uh, another way is that we're going to be uh, introducing an amendment to the, con- to the uh, continuing resolution to stop funding for OSHA to enforce this law. Tonight, we're introducing uh, on the NDAA an amendment that would tell the White House they cannot give dishonorable discharges to service members who are declining the vaccination as well. So we have to keep fighting. Uh, this White House is not going to pay attention to the courts. Uh, the courts themselves described this mandate as fatally flawed. They described it as using a sledgehammer, a one-size-fits-all approach to an issue which is obviously very complicated. So this is just, uh, I think we drew first blood, but we've got a long ways to go yet.
0: Well, Dr. Marshall, a lot to talk about here. This was one of three mandates. We've got the mandate, actually one of multiple mandates. We've got the mandate for federal Uh, Workers, We've got a mandate for federal contractors. Uh, We have the mandate, as you made reference to, for the military. But then we also, one that I think is uh, near and dear to you, we have a mandate that the administration has put in place for all medical institutions that are receiving Medicare and Medicaid funds. This covers about 17 million health care workers. What's going to happen with that? There are challenges, but is that one uh, going to be stopped or is it going to go forward?
1: Well, I'm afraid it's going forward. My phone is blowing up today from friends, family members who are in the healthcare profession, doctors I went to medical school with. These are smart people and they don't want to get the vaccine. It's a personal choice. I support the vaccine. I've had the vaccine. My parents have had the vaccine, but I'm not sure it's right for my grandchildren who've already had the virus, but but I'm afraid that they're going to be let go. It's happening in some states already. We are approaching another Congressional Review Act process that we're trying to stop it, but this is becoming a skins and shirts issue. That my friends across the aisle typically support mandates, and my, and my friends on my side of the aisle don't support mandates. But I'm afraid this one will be much harder to stop than the OSHA one will be. I think that everyone agrees with the courts that a federal vaccine mandate for everybody with more than 100 employees is unconstitutional. But it gets a little stickier when you start working with the military, with federal contracts, that type of issue.
0: So you heard uh, at the intro of the show, I played a clip from Dr. Fauci yesterday, asked it, all right, when do we get to a point where we've got this thing under control? And he essentially says, we don't know. We'll know when we get there. How do you fight something when you don't know what success looks like?
1: Yeah, t- Tony, I'm, I'm just as frustrated as everybody is. I had a doctor when I moved to Great Bend, um, one of our first conversations, said, you know, once a doctor loses their reputation, they can never get it back. And I'm afraid Dr. Fauci's lost his reputation. I'm afraid this virus is going to be very much like the flu. Um, We have epidemics of it at bad years, good years. We try to pick the right vaccine. I'm afraid people are going to need a booster shot every six months the way it looks like to me until we get a better vaccine. Uh, unless, of course, you have natural immunity, and the CDC needs a, needs to, uh, uh, to to accept the the importance of natural immunity as well. So they're they're trading water over at the White House right now. The CDC has lost its credibility. Um, it does feel like it's about control, doesn't it?
0: Well, uh, let's talk a few numbers here. The the CDC finally put back up on their website the number of infection, the cases that were reported. Uh, hospitalizations and deaths. And, and if I'm doing the math correctly, when you look at the number of cases that we've had in the United States uh, and the number of deaths, just taking 2020, uh, we had 375,000 deaths. I know that's uh, that's obviously climbed since then. But when you do the math based upon all the infections, that's reported infections. Now, there's some that have not obviously been reported. We're talking about um a mortality rate of less than a, about a half a percentage point, about 0.05%. When you look at the number one killer in America, it's heart disease. Um, and we, we lost last year in 2020, 659,000 people died from heart disease. A lot of that, you know, this is a doctor, a lot of that preventable by diet, exercise, health, you know, healthy living. The point I'm bringing up here. If they're able to mandate all of this action based upon a virus that has a 0.05% mortality rate, what's going to happen with heart disease? I mean, are, are, we, are we setting the stage for uh, the government telling us we have to exercise, we can't have 32-ounce uh, sodas? I mean, wh- where does it stop?
1: Yeah, you know, Tony, it, it, is, it is frustrating. Uh, this is why mandates don't work. Uh, this virus, I would suppose 90% of the people that have died over the age of 50, 80% over the age of 65, and a vast majority of the rest are people that are frankly overweight. Has the CDC spent any time on encouraging people to build their own natural immune system using the food that God has given us? Uh, our own natural body's ability is the best way to fight a virus. Um, so, you're, so you're right. We, which illnesses are they going to pick on next, right? And, and which scarlet letters are we going to have on our foreheads? Um, and I just can't imagine forcing people to take a vaccine when when you have a, a, an incidence of mortality, probably one-tenth or one-one-hundredth of what you described there if you're under the age of 30.
0: You mentioned the National Defense Authorization Act. This is a measure annual bill. It's called a must-pass bill. It provides the funding for our nation's military but like everything else coming out of Congress these days, the left has uh, the, the 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 lion's share of the drafting of it, and they put all of their things into this. And there's several bad provisions in this measure. One of them being forcing women to register for the draft for the first time in a hundred years since we've had uh, the Selective Service in place. Now we haven't had a draft for nearly 50 years. Uh, but the selective service is still in place. Um, you've been a part of uh, leading the effort to try to get that out of the NDAA.
1: Right, Tony. Look, I, I'm all in favor of women volunteering to serve in the military, and there's just so many women that are doing an incredible job. But, but frankly, I don't want my daughter drafted, or or my future granddaughters drafted either. I, I don't. I just don't think that's a biblical principle, and um, you know, I'll I'll leave it at that. Um, again, women in the military I'm okay with, but I just don't think it's a good idea to draft them. And right. I'd love to pick your brain on that a little bit. Well, I probably should.
0: Well, I am uh, more than happy to have any of my daughters that want to serve in our military, and I've had those conversations with them. I'm proud of my service in the military. I'm proud to have served alongside of, uh, of women who have served in the, in the Marine Corps. Um, and, and for those that want to go, God bless them. Uh, but I do not think we should be forcing our women, our daughters, uh, to to register for and be forced into the military. I think there's a bigger gen, uh, agenda here, Dr. Marshall. It's not about the military and everyone having the opportunity. Everybody has the opportunity. This is about blurring the lines of gender. This is about further deconstructing um, Western civilization is what this is about. It's a much bigger issue here than simply the draft and selective service
1: yeah tony i think that's that's spot on and um i think that's where i ended up in my prayer time too as i tried to sort that one out a little bit and i i think we agree completely
0: well i know you've got a long night ahead there's about uh, a thousand amendments waiting for the ndaa it's going to take several days to get through them uh, I appreciate you taking time out to uh, to join us on Washington Watch tonight. And I, I want to commend you, especially as a freshman senator, leading the charge uh, on uh, so much of this mandate. I mean, you've got uh, a lot of credibility with your uh, colleagues there because of your uh, past service, your position as a doctor. And we're just thankful that you're using that to protect freedom. I'm humble,
1: Tony. I'm, I'm humble that God has chosen me to serve him in this capacity. And we're going to keep fighting for Americans.
0: All right. And uh, again, thanks for coming on today. All right, folks, stick with us. We're going to be coming back with more from Capitol Hill. Also, the uh, House is going to be taking up the Build Government Bigger Plan. And apparently the uh, CBO score is uh, if it hadn't come out yet, it should be out any moment. We're going to be talking with Congressman Kevin Brady, the ranking member on the Ways and Means Committee, about a tot tax that's in there, as well as seeing what the CBO score says. All right, don't go away. We're coming back with a lot more Washington Watch right after this.
2: Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God. And he has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square.
3: to six seven
0: seven four two. Welcome back to Washington Watch. By the way, taking a sip out of the stand mug. If you uh, are looking for that perfect Christmas gift, well, I've got it for you—the stand mug. It's a—it's uh, big one. And it's made in the USA. So to find out how you can get your stand mug. Go to Tony Perkins dot com. All right. The House of Representatives is taking up the president's uh, roughly two trillion dollar social spending package. The uh, build government bigger plan. In fact, just about 10 minutes ago, the long awaited congressional budget office released its score and. Joining us now with uh, the numbers is uh, Congressman Kevin Brady. He's the ranking member on the House Ways and Means Committee. In fact, just left a meeting uh, to join us on air. Congressman, welcome back to the program.
4: Thanks, Tony. Thanks for having me. And, yeah, we just uh, we just got the Congressional Budget Office score just a few minutes ago.
0: Well, don't keep me in suspense. What's it look like?
4: Did anyone really think it would pay for itself? Uh, The short answer, of course not. It is at least $300 billion short, uh, and that's even counting the budget gimmicks that's in here. So their best effort, of course, uh, this is going to to increase the national deficit uh, quite a bit. But as you know, uh, the true cost of this bill over a decade is closer to $4.5 trillion. And I think by many estimates, this will increase the national debt by almost 25% and drive down the economy as well, and and, and that's giving them the benefit of the doubt of all the budget gimmicks. So, yeah, the president's uh, claim that this costs zero uh, is simply wrong.
0: Well, they've been preparing for this, basically being dismissive of the CBO's numbers and their ability to score, saying they're not able to factor in what we're going to bring in by tracking down the tax cheats. Uh, which is, uh, you know, very convenient. But let me ask you another question on this. Uh, You know, given these numbers, given the size of this, given the concerns about inflation, how is this going to help us when it comes to inflation?
4: You know, it won't. In fact, it'll make it worse. A couple of reasons. We already know from even the the White House's favorite economic forecaster that when you put the infrastructure bill, the two trillion dollars of spending for COVID earlier this year, and, and then this uh, build together that over the next decade we'll see on average about 2% higher uh, consumer prices uh, for Americans. So you ought to brace for inflation for quite a while. And it's pretty simple when you're when you're sending out trillions of dollars in the economy, but actually paying workers not to reconnect to their job. In this case, independent estimates uh, show about 2 million more workers will exit the workforce. Because of this spending in here, you know, you've got a recipe for not just high inflation, but but very persistent inflation, and that that is what I think has got most families and a lot of our small businesses very very worried.
0: Well, let's take one specific example of of how this works, because this is this is basic. I'm an I'm not an economist. I took. Uh, economics in college. And so it's pretty basic stuff, supply and demand. You put more money in, you have less product, you're going to drive up the prices. But let me ask you this question. You've been around a while. How many services or products or or things of that nature has the government subsidized and the price come down on?
4: Oh, gosh. Um, The government subsidizes an awful lot. And we saw this during COVID where uh, all this spending, and a lot of it, look, a lot of it at the beginning, especially was done fairly blindly. It was pushing money out the door because we didn't know you know how much we had to rescue this economy and 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 get a hand along the health care but But as that cleared up, Washington just kept spending money and setting it down. That's why we saw you know an average family of four where both parents lost their jobs, we sent them government checks of over hundred and nine thousand dollars, and even families without uh, in either worker uh, being damaged at all, we are sending them $26,000. But we were doing the same for businesses, governments, others, again, all driving up inflation in a major way. And don't take my word for it, the Federal Reserve of San Francisco, not exactly a conservative organization, uh, you know, as, identifies that type of spending as the reason we've got much higher inflation in fact, for this year, Tony, since president Biden uh raised his hand, took the oath, inflation's on a forty year high and doesn't seem to be abating at all
0: well you're not going to see it abate if you uh, are continuing to put trillions of dollars into the economy before we run out of time i want to switch to this a toddler tax that's uh, a part of this bill that this is i think this is an example where the government gets involved it drives up the cost of services like this
4: yeah the the way it works is that uh, in this bill they They drive wages up. They subsidize wages for child care workers and with regulations drive up the cost, but they only subsidize a few families. So if you're a family of two teachers uh, making $65,000 a year, uh, by liberal estimates, they believe your child care costs will go up by $13,000 a year. So add $1,000 a month to the cost of child care. But here's what's worse for for pro life, pro family conservatives and religious freedom, they are uh, banning faith based uh, child care facilities from participating here. They go out of their way to make sure that a single mom who's got child care at the local church a block away will have to drive miles and miles away from work and away from home to get this government directed health care. It is a direct challenge on religious. Freedom and this is, you know, forever. uh, Tony, frankly, uh, the government uh, by law has said, "Look, child care facilities run by faith-based organizations benefit the parent, not the provider," and they've always been allowed. About half of the child care in America is provided this way. So this is a direct attack on faith-based child care organizations.
0: And and Congressman Brady, almost out of time here, but uh, the effect of giving. The, the money, but only to be used for non faith based. The ultimate uh, outcome is it crowds out the faith based entities because they won't have any uh, you know, parents to serve because most of them are going to be attracted to where the government money is.
4: Yeah, that is exactly right. It is It, it strangles the faith based child care, which for many of us has been such an important part of child care. Our, our, my wife, thankfully, was able to stay home. You know, as we raise our children, but but our neighbors and friends who use a lot of our local care, you know, they're going to be squeezed in big ways. And ultimately, it's going to make it harder for our faith based groups to survive.
0: Uh, Congressman Kevin Brady, always great to talk with you. And uh, we'll be following these developments very closely and look forward to talking to you again soon.
4: Thank you. Take care, Tony.
0: All right, Congressman Kevin Brady of Texas. All right, stick with us. Coming up next, the. China Commission releasing its report to Congress yesterday saying that um, China is moving and prepared on Taiwan. We talk about it next. Don't go away.
3: What
5: is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs.
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host Tony Perkins. Good to have you. Whether it's the website TonyPerkins.com, I, I mentioned this earlier in the week, but uh, for those of you interested in what's happening in school districts across the country and pondering the idea of possibly running for the school board, uh, tomorrow afternoon, FRC Action is going to uh, have a special election report. Meg Kilgannon will be hosting that. It's a part of our school board boot camp series. It'll be from uh, one. P.M. Eastern Time to 3 p.M. Eastern Time uh, to register. Go to FRC Action. That's FRCAction.org for this iteration of the School Board Boot Camp, the election report. You'll get some stories of those who su- were successful in running for the School Board, and you might pick up some ideas of uh, what you need to do next when that School Board seat comes open uh, in your community. All right, yesterday, the U.S. China Economic and Security Review Commission released its 2021 annual report to Congress. The report covers a wide range of topics, including the Chinese government's evolving control of the corporate sector, China's nuclear forces, Chinese military capabilities, and much more. Now, one key finding from the report is the ability of the United States and and Taiwan to deter military aggression by China, and I'm quoting, is in a period of dangerous uncertainty. End quote. Here's what former Senator Jim Talent, a member of the commission, said. What we found was that the Chinese are at, are at or near, an initial invasion capability, which means the ability to conduct the land invasion, of Taiwan, even assuming American intervention, albeit, at very high risk. With me now to talk more about this and the. Uh, virtual meeting that took place on Monday between the two leaders is Gordon Chang, author of The Coming Collapse of China, The Great U.S.-China Tech War. He can be found on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang. Gordon Chang, welcome back to Washington Watch.
7: Thank you so much, Tony.
0: Let's start with this report coming from uh, the commission yesterday to Congress. Any surprises here on what they've what they reported?
7: No, there's no surprise in else that we go along that China has this near-invasion capability. What's really important about this report, though, is it talks about urgency. The Pentagon believes that if there's going to be an invasion, it'll probably be in the 2027-2035 frame, And so, therefore, they recommend taking out weapons now in order to pay for modernization, to pay for weapons of the future when they think the conflict will occur. But this report suggests that we need to get ready now, in other words, to build up stores of new munitions, also to harden our bases in the region. So this has a very different time outlook than the Pentagon does.
0: And given some of the recent reports that we've seen from our military leaders, China is already ahead of us when it comes to military. I mean, they're about their navy now reportedly is larger than ours. So we've got to move quickly if we're going to catch up within that time frame.
7: Yes, and and we don't see the urgency from the administration on this, as well as the administration is even thinking of changing our nuclear weapons policy in a way that would be make it more difficult for us to deter China. So this is not going in the right direction, Tony.
0: Uh, Gordon, let me ask you your thoughts on President Biden and uh, communist dictator Xi Jinping's virtual meeting Monday um, based on the White House, uh, their report on the meeting.
7: Yeah, this is a meeting which was certainly ill-timed. But even if it was going to occur, uh, President Biden didn't raise the issue, which is absolutely critical, and that is the origins of COVID-19. Because we're talking about 765,000 Americans who have been killed by this disease, according to Johns Hopkins, he should have talked about this. I mean, to not even discuss it is, to me, a dereliction of duty. We know that Biden didn't raise the issue in his two-hour phone call with Xi Jinping in February. We don't know about the 90-minute call in September, but he probably didn't raise it then either. This is really inexplicable.
0: Now, the the president, President Biden, that is, has been defensive, saying, you know, that uh, the communist leader is not his old friend. Uh, But in the opening comments, uh, President uh, Xi Jinping uh, made reference to Joe Biden as his old friend. Was that a was that a dig at the president?
7: Well, it certainly was. Um, there's a little history needed here. If we go back a couple of years, uh, Biden has always talked about Xi Jinping and the old relationship. About uh, a couple of months ago, Biden, in response to a question from Peter Ducey at Fox News, said, no, this is just business. We're not friends. And so I think Xi Jinping was trolling Biden by calling him, quote, my old friend. And it was good that Biden said, no, no, this is this this is just a relationship between two countries.
0: Well, interesting. A lot to watch there. China is one that I think we've got to keep our eyes on. So we're going to be talking to you uh, quite a bit, Gordon Chang. Thanks so much for joining us today.
7: Oh, well, thank you so much, Tony. And you're right. Ephesians 6.13, we must stand with the American people and freedom and democracy and our faith.
0: All right. I hope you're still drinking from that mug. I certainly am, and thank you. All right. Uh, Gordon Chang. You can find him on Twitter, Gordon G. Chang. And he has one of the stand mugs. You can get yours as well. Go to tonyperkins.com. They make uh, great Christmas gifts. Coming up, America is facing a number of crises, but my next guest says the real crisis might not be what you think, but rather how some are thinking. We'll talk about it next with George Barnum right after the break. Don't go away. A lot more Washington Watch to come, right after this.
6: Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news?
5: even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religiousliberty.
8: Visit frc.org slash internships to apply.
0: All right, let me remind you, coming up November the 28th, that's the Sunday night after Thanksgiving. It's a long weekend. Not much going to be going on on Sunday nights other than uh, recovering from eating the leftovers. But we're going to be having we're going to be holding hosting a, a historic prayer meeting in Jackson, Mississippi, which is the epicenter of the current abortion debate. The case out of Mississippi banning abortions after 15 weeks is going to be heard before the United States Supreme Court, the oral arguments on December the 1st. So the Sunday night before that, we're going to be praying there in Jackson, Mississippi at New Horizon Church. We'll be joined from Coast to coast, border to border. We're going to have the governor of Mississippi will be there. Other pro-life leaders from around the country will be there. Uh, Pastor Jack Hibbs will be joining us from the West Coast. We'll have individuals praying uh, at the Supreme Court joining us live from there. We'll be on the northern border. We'll be on the southern border. And you can join us as well. In fact, I invite you to join us for this 90-minute prayer meeting. To find out how you can be a part of it, text TOGETHER to 67742, that's 67742, the word together. America is facing a number of uh, crises from economic and political to moral and cultural. But my next guest says the real crisis facing America is a worldview crisis. Recently, the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, in collaboration with the nonprofit Foundations of Freedom, released the findings from its extensive, groundbreaking project on millennials in America. Now, I warn you, many of the findings are troubling, but but there are some bright spots and reasons for hope. With me now to talk about the findings is George Barna, who is the director of Arizona Christians Cultural Research Center, as well as a senior fellow here at the Family Research Council Center for Biblical Worldview. George, always great to have you on the program.
9: Good to be with you again, Tony. Thanks
0: for having me. All right. How would you characterize millennials based on your study? Let's start with that definition.
9: Well, I mean, the way we measure them is people born between 1984 to 2002. That makes them 18 to 37 years of age. The way I would characterize them as a generation is confused and in pain. I think what we discovered through the research is that this is a group that uh, has really been going through a number of transitions trying to find themselves, and unfortunately, they've bought into the cultural mandate, if you will, that to find yourself, you need to look inside rather than look to God.
0: yeah, looking through the uh, extensive survey it uh, I mean just to summarize some of these uh, elements they're searching for purpose in life, they have a crisis of meaning. Um, they have uh, record-breaking rates of suicide in this generation. I mean, um, they struggle with relationships. I mean, there's something missing. What is it?
9: Well, again, Tony, I don't want to be like the hammer that sees everything as a nail that needs to be pounded. But when I look at all these issues, I think, oh, but it all goes back to worldview. Why is that? Well, it's because... Your worldview is what causes you to make every decision you make. And so if we look at the struggles, the challenges, the troubles that they're facing, it has to do with the fact that their worldview is errant. It's not serving them well. And so if they had a biblical worldview, most, if not all, of those issues would simply disappear. It's that way in our culture at large. You know, you opened up the segment by talking about all the different crises that we hear about on the evening news, the economic crisis, the political crisis, the border crisis, etc. All of those would be taken care of if America would get its worldview right. And what we know with millennials is only 4% of them have a biblical worldview. Now, I don't want to beat them up too badly. That's not too different than the rest of the nation where, you know, we've got 6% among all adults. So... If we can take care of that crisis, much of the rest will take care of itself.
0: Well, I'm with you. I I agree 100%. So you can beat that nail all you want around here because, look, a, a worldview not only helps you understand, a biblical worldview not only helps you understand the world around you, but it helps give you meaning in the world in which you live. And that's how we put all these pieces together because without it, Quite frankly, it doesn't make sense. And to me, just these findings on their face are evident of what's missing. And and, and one of these is that three out of every ten identify as LGBTQ. I mean, there is there's a crisis of meaning. There's a crisis of identity that only God can provide the way forward.
9: Well, it's true. And when we look at all of these findings, I mean, basically what it comes back to is they had to make a choice. What is life about? And their decision, their choice was that life is all about me. Now, biblical worldview would tell us, no, no, no. Life is about God. It's all about him. He created us for his purposes. And so if we want to understand our meaning, if we want to get satisfaction and fulfillment in life, we've got to go back to him. We derive that from him and the purpose that he's created for us. The the general purpose that all of us have is to know, love, and serve him with all our heart, mind, strength, and soul. And if you start there and then work out from that, life takes on a lot of meaning. But if you start with the assumption that life is about me, I've got to feel it. I've got to sense it. I've got to experience it. There is no absolute moral truth. It's all about me. It comes back to me. If I just dig down deep enough, I'll figure it all out. That's a losing strategy.
0: Okay, so we, we've kind of talked a little bit about the the, the what, what we're looking at. Let, let's talk about the how. How did we get here? You, you talk about the, the lack of a biblical worldview. But you can't have a biblical worldview if you reject God and the Bible. Uh, so what's, what's the religious makeup of this group?
9: Yeah, I mean, we, most people don't understand that a worldview starts developing at a very young age and is completed by the age of 13. So what happens spiritually with us when we're very young makes a big difference. What this is basically telling us is that with this particular generation, we didn't do a very good job of raising them up in the way that they need to go for the rest of their life. What we basically did was we turned them over to the culture and said, look, you disciple them. You implant ideas in their minds and hearts about what is right, about what is meaningful, about what's significant. We can see how well that's worked. But, you know, really when we look at how do we deal with this, the church has to be uh, I'm, ever I'm not, present. I'm America's. not
0: there yet. I'm, I'm going to get there. I, I, I got another question here I want to unpack because it's going to factor into that, hold that thought. Okay. All right, let me ask you this question. Is this not a byproduct of pushing God and religion out of the public space, out of our schools, out of the culture? If we've turned, I mean, this isn't the first generation that's been heavily influenced by the culture, but it is the first generation that's had a culture that has completely pushed God out.
9: Yeah, and Tony, when we study what is it that causes people to, think what they think and do what they do. We find that there are a handful of key influencers, and those happen to be the media, the family, public policy, schools, and peers. Those are the dominant ones for young people. The real big one is the media. And so if you want to know why people are turning to Marxism, secular humanism, postmodernism, Eastern mysticism, and so forth, so much of it has to do with, well, that's what they're hearing in the movies they watch. That's what they're listening to in the music that they play. That's what they're reading in the kinds of books and online websites that they visit, the kinds of posts they're getting, the video games they're playing. And so you, you combine that with the fact that parents have taken a hands-off approach to worldview development and said there are other people who are experts at this. I'm going to let them do it. And this is what we wind up with.
0: Okay, now we can go to the way forward because every problem has a solution. And this challenge is an opportunity for the church and for parents if we will take on the responsibility God has given us.
9: And it really is. And Tony, you know, back a few years ago, you and I on the program talked about. Research we had done that showed that the church was not addressing the issues of the day. The pastor said, yes, the Bible speaks to it, but I'm not going to speak to it, not from the pulpit. That's too controversial. And so this is some of the payback for our unwillingness to address issues from a biblical standpoint. What we've got to have is a church that is willing to talk about what people are going through, what we're living with the kinds of questions that are being asked in the public square. And so we can't retreat behind the church walls and say, I don't want people to get upset with me if I tell them what the Bible says about these issues. They may not like that, and then they may not come back, and then we won't be able to have as big a church. That's not the issue. The issue here is the issue of truth. It is. In fact, Are we willing to give people that?
0: That was a message I had for pastors on Monday night. I spoke to uh, the Louisiana Baptist uh, Pastors Conference in Monroe, Louisiana on Monday night. And it just so happened that about two weeks ago, I was on Capitol Hill um, speaking to, uh, actually providing a devotional to the uh, the Republican Study Committee. It's public. It's out there, so I can say it. Uh, I occasionally go in and do a devotional for them. And, and we had a little extra time, so they were asking questions, and, and, and one of the members of Congress asked, and I shared this with the pastors on Monday night, asked, where are the pastors? Uh, w- why are they not speaking to these issues that so many people want us to legislate on, but the pastors are not speaking to? And that's not the first time I've heard that. And so I think it is incumbent upon the pastors to systematically, not cherry-pick, but systematically walk through Scripture and help people understand in their congregations how to apply the Word of God to the world in which we live. That's the only way we develop a biblical worldview. It is that intersection of the Scripture and the world in which we live.
9: Yeah, we're not at fault for not giving people a lot of information. We do that well. There are two things that we don't do well. One is connect the dots between those biblical principles. Help people to see how it fits a decision-making matrix that will help us to make the right choices. And then how do you apply that in your life? If we can help them make those principled connections and then figure out how to apply it in life
0: that's gonna turn things around. Yeah, and George Barna, you're not here to do this, I'm not here to beat up on pastors or anybody else, We're just pointing out that there's been a void, a vacuum that's been created that we have not spoken. to. So that's one of the reasons for our Center for Biblical Worldview is to help pastors. And we have a number of publications, pastors available for you to help you look at what Scripture says about these issues so you can teach your people and develop within them a biblical worldview. But, George, there's more. In fact, the one that I'm most passionate about, and I think you share this, It's not just equipping the pastors, because sometimes that's too late to really affect the true change we need. We've got to get the parents, beginning when those kids are in the cradle, probably still in the womb, helping develop that biblical worldview. Yeah, I mean,
9: a biblical worldview starts developing at the age of 15 months. It's almost fully formed by the age of 13. So that says that's really where the battle is won or lost. And if churches want to help parents do that, they need all the help they can get. They can't give what they don't have. And so what church is going to be doing is equipping parents with that kind of information and encouragement and other resources to help them get the job done. Don't let them drop the kids off as if the church is a babysitting service. It's not. What you need to do is preparing the parents to do the brunt of the work, and the church is there to support them in doing that.
0: Yeah. In fact, we've even discussed uh, creating curriculum for pastors that when they do the uh, um, dedication of children in a lot of the churches when they're first born is that the parents have to go through a class that would incorporate developing that biblical worldview. It is so critical, and it's not something that just happens. You've got to be intentional about developing, having those conversations of that intersection between Scripture and its application to the world around us.
9: And one of the things that pastors can do to facilitate that is help parents know the significant role they play in the development of the worldview of their children and the incredibly significant role worldview plays in the way that they're going to live the rest of their lives. If they understand that, no parent wants to fail at being a great parent, especially those who love God. They want to do the best they can, but sometimes they don't even realize how critically important worldview is, yeah. and the necessary role that they play within it. Hi
0: right, George, we got 30 seconds left, uh, so I want you to fix the world in 30 seconds. Uh, look, I know the situation is bad, but can we turn it around? We can turn it around. We've got 15
9: million adults in America that have a biblical worldview. You can't show me a place where a movement of 15 million people couldn't turn an entire nation, the entire world upside down. We can do it. We just have to be focused
0: on it and committed to it. And we're committed, and together we're going to make this uh, our life's calling and mission to uh, advance a biblical worldview. I know the left is going crazy right now. Uh, that We're going to take over the world, but we're going to, I don't know, we might not take over the world, but we're certainly going to help build the kingdom. Uh, George the- Barna, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Tony. All right. And, folks, uh, I want to encourage you to check out the website, uh, TonyPerkins.com. But uh, it should have some links there to our biblical worldview materials. We have a Center for Biblical Worldview now here at the Family Research Council. George is one of the senior fellows there. And uh, Dr. David Clawson, who is on uh, every week, developing resources for pastors, for parents, for uh, student leaders to help develop this biblical worldview. You've got to be intentional about it. So parents... This is your role, your responsibility. We'll help you do it. All right, we're out of time. Thanks so much for joining us. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, When you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing.